come to us so A reading from Romans 13. But make sure that you don't get so absorbed and exhausted in taking care of all your day-to-day obligations that you lose track of the time and doze off, oblivious to God. The night is about over. Dawn is about to break. Be up and awake to what God is doing. God is putting the finishing touches on the salvation work he began when we first believed. We can't afford to waste a minute. We must not squander these precious daylight hours in frivolity and indulgence, in sleeping around in dissipation, in bickering and grabbing everything in sight. Get out of bed and get dressed. Don't, don't loiter and linger, waiting until the very last minute. Dress yourselves in Christ and be up and about. Grab a seat. Paul's words kind of sound like a brother jumping on his sibling's bed early Christmas morning, doesn't it? The night is about over. Dawn is about to break. Be up and awake to what God is doing. Dress yourselves. Let's get going. Doesn't that sound like, like your brother coming in on Christmas morning, your sister jumping in on Christmas morning? One who, who had kind of snuck out of bed maybe a few minutes early, gone down the hall and seen what was under the tree? I don't know about you, but there's in our house, there are certain presents that aren't wrapped under the tree. Some are wrapped, but some aren't. And so I can imagine like, like Cohen, um, not that this has ever happened, right? Getting out of bed early, like at 4.45, um, walking down the hallway, looking, seeing, and then running back, very quietly, of course, into Lily's room and waking Lily up, trying as hard as he can to whisper, but saying more like this, like, hey, Lily, guess what? There's presents, it's there, I saw it. Get up, come on, let's go, let's go. And then going into our room and doing the same thing, right? Hey, mom and dad, guess what? It's time to get up. And be like, us rolling over and saying, no, we've got a couple more hours. Um, no, we, we're not those kind of parents. If they wake us up, usually we get up when they, with them. Um, but doesn't kind of Paul's, Paul's words kind of sound like that? Where it's like this, this anticipation of what has been seen already, a glimpse of it, right? Like he's gone and seen what was under the tree and he's come back into this spot and to where his siblings are. And he's saying, get out of bed, it's here. What we've waited for is here. I've longed, what we've longed for is here. I've seen it, I've glimpsed it. Paul's seasonally appropriate appeal is hope. That's what Paul is doing. He is being hopeful. He is pronouncing hope. He is, he is letting hope not only get him out of bed and go to look, but compel him to go and to call others to see the same. Having caught a glimpse of what awaits him and his brothers and sisters in Jesus, Paul participates in hope. He's driven forward by it. He's fueled by it. His readiness and anticipation propel him to be up and about dressed in Jesus further powering that for which he hoped for with sure faith. You know, in the, in the, um, uh, the Anglican or Episcopal tradition, this, this text um, marks the first day of Advent uh, in their, their kind of cyclical calendar. And I think it does so for this reason, because it, it, the first day of Advent is kind of like the first opportunity we have to take a glimpse at what's under the tree, Right? that we can see what we're waiting for. And so what we're waiting for is there. And it's just compelling um, of us to go and to seize what it is that we've, we have awaiting. The Christmas season, like no other, encourages us to hope like that, which Paul hopes. To not only wait for something like a surprise, but to go and grab the thing that we, is already there. 
whether we hope for something as superficial as the newest gadget, which are great, or are as resolute as a new direction for a new year, or as essential as healing and wholeness of body, marriage, community, or vocation, there is no other season in our culture or even church calendar which encourages us to imagine and expect and anticipate and hope like Christmas does. That's the beauty of Christmas, right? That's one of the amazing things about Christmas. And that's perhaps why the, this eternal hope that it fosters within us is why Christmas season is, of all the Judeo-Christian holidays, the most universal. That everywhere around the world, some form or fashion of Christmas is celebrated. Hope, after all, is an indispensable ingredient in life. Without hope, there is no life, at least not life worth living. You see, hope has been a catalyst for change throughout human history. It's been a catalyst for change that Paul anticipates here, where he says, get out of bed, get dressed, quit living this way, don't loiter, get after life, get after life as it really is. Hope has been that catalyst throughout human history. It's kept us persevering amid difficulty and oppression, striving for something better than what we have. Don't step on those wires. I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but, um, but hope compels us, if it doesn't surprise us, um, to take action, to stand up and to keep progressing, to not give in to circumstances, limitations and evils. That's what hope does. But it also works the other way. Remove hope and you completely disable a person in society. You break them of all strength and stamina. Remove hope in a person or people and you'll see them crumble under the tyranny of the mundane. And so this is why Christmas feels the way it does. Why it's been embraced the way it has been. Because no other season, secular or sacred, that engenders hope as Christmas does. So a yearly renewal of hope is certainly, certainly something worth the time and energy we put into it. It's worth the decorations and it's worth the pomp and frivolity. It's worth the twinkling lights and the wondrously adorned trees and all the get-togethers and the wrapped gifts and all the fun things. It's worth it because we need hope to live. All these things encourage us to hope and that is a good and necessary thing. But as Paul knew, hope that lasts Hope that allows us to endure needs to be fueled. It needs to be brought into life through actions. It needs to be go in and got, right? Not just anticipated, but received. Get out of bed, he says. Be up, get dressed. Don't doze off, forgetting what day it is. And what day is it? It's a day that God is putting the finishing touches on the salvation work he began. That's the day that we wake up into. Every day, as Peter told us that we wake up into it, is this day in which God is finishing, putting the finishing touches on the salvation work he began. And remember how, how sure Peter was of this? That in his two letters, um, that dawn's inbreaking that the, is, is, is a sign that the lingering gray is not a movement back into darkness, but fading shadows that cling to nothing solid. That the difficulties of life, the strengths of life, the things that we hope to change, that we need to change, are not indications that things are getting darker, but that the light is coming. Peter had caught a glimpse of what awaits, just as Paul had. A peek at the present unwrapped, Jesus, gentle and lowly, high and lifted up in our life in him. You see, the hope that Christmas season engenders in a community and compassion and around the world the hope that this kind of 
secularized season tends to engender, eventually fades. The presents received are put to the side and something more is desired, right? Or exchanged in return for, for what you really wanted. The intentions for a different way of living soon fade back into old habits. Usually I think there's like a three to six week window of following our resolutions. Trees are discarded or put in boxes. Lights and ornaments are all packaged up again and put out of sight until next year. And we move on. Once more absorbed and exhausted in taking care of all the day-to-day obligations, as Paul says. That is, unless hope becomes a way of life. Unless we live into hope. Paul's encouragement to us this Christmas season is be caught in the moment of hope. Yeah, be caught up in Christmas. It's great. It's wondrous. There's all kinds of beauty in all the traditions and things that we have around us. Listen, if you go to like the, our Advent resource page, you can hear the story of the Christmas tree or the stockings or the Advent wreath, all the little things that surround us, even in the secular cultures around us, where the carols and the songs come from that are sung, they all have a deep and rich history in our faith and point to this hope that we're in. It's all there. We, we want to be caught up in this season. It's a good thing to be caught up in Christmas. That's what my wife has taught me over the years. It's a good thing to start Christmas on November 1st, like we do in our family. But Paul's saying there's got to be more than just being caught up in the moment. That we want to be not just caught up in the moment of hope, but we want to participate in the push of hope into life. The movement of hope into life. That lasts long after the signs of the season are fading away. But how? How do we... How do we keep Christmas, pardon the the pun, how do we keep Christmas alive after the Christmas fades? Well, we do it by putting on the gift that we've obtained. Putting on the very thing that we've received. The one, at least in our faith, that is the reason for the season. We dress ourselves in Christ. We dress ourselves in Christ. We put on the thing that Paul says is under the tree for us, waiting for us, that we've already received. For all the encouraging and necessary affections that hope that Christmas stimulates, the true hope that compels us to set our calendar is a hope that locked arm with death and sin at the place of our greatest need. The hope which is the power and the promise in the person of Jesus. Jesus through whom we have all that we need for life and godliness. All that we need for life and godliness. Everyday life and life to its fullest potential. Jesus, through whom our relationship with our Heavenly Father is restored, and by whom we are escaping the corruption in the world because of desire. The one who frees us and who gives us all that we need. What a present. What a presence of the present that we have at Christmas. The hope we have received at the point of our greatest need in the darkest place is none other than the Lord Jesus becoming our light and our salvation Jesus is a hope that is the source of our actions, the hope that compels us to get out of bed. And his life, our life's experienced as his life, is hope lived, hope experienced, hope fueled as a consequence of our actions. See, Advent is more than just a moment of feeling hope. It's a reminder to live hope. Paraphrasing philosopher, theologian, and activist Cornel West What Christmas can and should engender in us is God becoming flesh, God locking on with death and sin until both are overcome and blessing is bestowed. And that is hope. And that's the hope that we receive and it's a hope that we get to live out of. West contends that hope is not spectatorial. 
It's not simply consumed and felt. It's participatory. Hope is participatory. You, you're already in the mess, Wes says. You're in the funk. Fall, the fall is upon us. It's inside of us. So what are you gonna do about it? Hope is a verb as much as a virtue. Hope is as much a consequence of your action as it is a source of your action. For hope is something that you find in your immersion into God with you, God for you, and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you decide you're going to live, really live till the end, until the shadows fade and all that is left is new. You're going to, as Paul encourages us, get up and get dressed to put on Christ no matter what. By choosing to act now in this incredibly stressful time with integrity, with accountability, with responsibility to, as we looked at over the last few months, supplement our faith to cultivate love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Our actions themselves can nurture and fuel hope in us. That's what Paul's encouragement is. Not to simply be caught up in the moment of hope, but to participate in it. To let yourself, like a child, be driven from your bed into the room and to get on the toy and ride it, <laughs> to put it on, to take a full advantage of it, to experience it in its depth and fullness. For hope, Wes says, is about everybody trying to contribute to the push, the motion, the momentum, the movement for something bigger than them that's better. The good, the beautiful, the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's what Advent encourages us. Not simply to sit and just twiddle our thumbs and wait for and look at all the, the, the pretty things around us and or not just to even just be inspired by it, but rather be ones who get up, get out of bed and get dressed. For if we're not in motion, we're only spectators. If we're not putting hope into life, we're still in bed, oblivious to God to what he is doing and what awaits us when we get dressed in Jesus, when we put on the presence that we've received. Listen, the Christmas season engenders hope and compels us to hope for something and it causes us to have to wait too, right? Like there's a natural waiting that happens in this season. We, we know what we're expecting we know what's around the corner. We know what we've received. And yet there's still this, this longing for more and for better for the thing that we need most. And granted, in this season of 25 days, it's a relatively short time before we get what we want. But life, it's a lot longer than that, right? Sometimes it feels like this, the days drag on and on before we receive the fullness of all that Jesus has promised. Waiting is built into the season and into our lives and Paul says that waiting is not idly sitting by, letting the routines of living and the things of our stomachs and hearts long for drive us forward. Instead, he says, to wait is to hope. And to hope is to live. For God is finishing in you what he started. That his life is an abundant life and life in you forever. So as we enter into this season, it's about to get busy. A season of hoping and waiting um, a season that when we leave this space anyway is gonna be full of all kinds of things. 
let us take a few moments to be led into hope through the practice that we've been incorporating for the last month, a moment of silence and solitude. For as Beard said, as we read earlier, while settling silence speaks of solitude, that's when hope happens. For a moment, let's settle into the silence of a space and a solitude of our seats. Let's be quiet and still, just as we did last week. Take a few moments to close your eyes or look down at the ground, just to be quiet and still in your spot, to let yourself be in solitude with others in your own seat. Breathe in, hope comes, and breathe out from you. Breathe in, hope comes, and breathe out from you. Let your mind settle into a place of God with you, God for you. When your mind wanders in the next few minutes to activities and obligations, just breathe and pray. Hope comes from you. Now in the quieting of this, of your mind and heart, in the stilling of your body, let's do what Mary did when she had had a glimpse of Jesus, the new baby born, the angels have sung, the shepherds have declared all that he is, all that he would be for her and for the entire world. She treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. So let us do the same. Everything we need for life and godliness, all that we want and desire is in Jesus. Everything we need to be rescued from, he's come to rescue us from. Everything that the seasons internal and external point to that says we want more and better and good, he's come to bring. Meditate on this truth. Treasure it up. Paul says it this way in Galatians. And this will be up on the screen throughout our little quiet time. He says, when the fullness of time had come, God, God sent forth his son born of woman to redeem so that we might receive adoption. God, having sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but an heir through God. Let that truth be treasured in your heart. We'll just have a couple minutes of quiet.
Father, you have given us everything we need to participate in hope. At the right time, you sent your son to be born of woman to redeem, to die for sinners like you and I and us. to rise again, that we might have life now and life forever. Help us, Father, to put on Jesus, to be ones who not only are caught up in the season of hope, but are clothed in it, who go about declaring it, proclaiming it, living it, experiencing it. Yes, in this season, but in also all the seasons to come. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. In um, the Episcopal Church, um, there's a tradition that dates back long to the, to the Middle Ages um, where on Advent Sundays, they, they chant a canticle. A canticle is a hymn. Um, it, it's, it's usually from the scriptures in some sort of way, typically a biblical text. It's a regular part of the church service, especially during this season. Um, and uh, it, it's a scripture chanted. We're not going to chant. Um, as, as much as I would love to, I would love to chant for you. Um, I, won't, I won't do that to you. Maybe someday, maybe someday we'll find somebody in our, in our faith family who can carry a chant. Uh, and we'll do this. Ryan, I think this is maybe you for next year. Let's shoot for that. And so I'm just throwing it out there. So, so we, we started incorporating this as a church family uh, around communion. And so as a way for us to say together the very things that we're proclaiming um, and to let that kind of be a communal tone of our hearts as we receive from, um, from God what he's given to us, a son that was broken, his body given so that we might be healed, a son whose life was poured out for us, um, that his life might become our life and that the promise of our life is not in our blood, but in his. And so... Will you do this with me? Will you stand with me and grab your communion elements? And we're going to confess the canticle number 10, the second song of Isaiah together from Isaiah 55 as a way of stirring one another up to love and good works, a way of encouraging one another to get out of bed and get dressed, to not loiter and linger, to not wait until the very last minute, but to be up and awake to what God is doing. And so what we'll do is if it's highlighted, we'll all say that. And if it's not highlighted, I'll say it. Make sense? Great. All right, let's start together. Seek the Lord while he wills to be found. Call upon him when he draws near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the evil one their thoughts. And let them turn to the Lord and he will have compassion and to our God, for he will richly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as rain and snow fall from the heavens and return not again, but water the earth, bringing forth life and giving growth, See for seed for sowing and bread for eating. So is my word that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish that which I have purposed and purpose it in that for which I sent it and prosper in that which I sent it. 
The Lord that is Jesus has come, and he will finish what he started in us, through us, and for the world. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as there was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever in fullness, through the body, blood, and life everlasting of Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm.